Welcome to You Need a Coach, Bitch. I'm your host, Chris Hale. I'm a certified life coach and coach instructor. I'm also a master dance educator and self-proclaimed Zenial Pop Diva. Every week, I bring you a conversation to help you harness your inner authority by popping the patriarchy and crafting the life of your dreams. Are you ready to unleash your inner creator? Let's go. What is up, bad bitches? How are you? (laughs) Uh, Now I have um, Beyonce pure honey in my head, you know, and she's like, bad bitches to the left. Money bitches to the right. You can be both me in the middle, dance all night. Anyway, um, (laughs) I actually fully endorse this message. Like, be both. Get your dance on. Bad bitch, money bitch. Same thing. Crush it. Um, we're in the final week of August. I am literally shook. And also, I was up at 3.30, as per my usual. Um, and I found myself on Instagram watching Bethany Frankel review tortilla chips. And I cannot, cannot for the life of me understand why I love her so much. She was literally always my favorite on Roni. Her feud with Kelly Ben Simone was, like, hilarious. Anyway... That is what I do when I'm awake in the middle of the night. I attempt to sleep. I get bored. I grab my phone, which I know I shouldn't. I watch garbage things on Instagram and TikTok. Eventually, I start reading a book. And then, like, eight out of ten times, I'll fall back to sleep. And sometimes I don't. This morning was, like, a little bit of a, like, a doze between, like, 6 and 6.45. And then I was like, I'm done with this. Anyway... It might be time for a sleep study, but like that idea kind of creeps me out. I don't know if I'm ready for it. My brain is all over the place today. Just like, this is what it is really like to exist in my company, especially if we're close. My husband and I have this friend, Anna, and the three of us, it's like non sequiturs, tangents, weird like noises. We're just like stimming and like being insane altogether. Um, It's actually kind of funny because if you are a listener, you're experiencing more of the real me than most people I interact with in real life actually do, Um, which is kind of a perfect segue into today's topic. Today, let's talk about shame, baby. (laughs) Everybody's favorite topic. Yeah. So we are talking about shame today. And I have to be honest, I usually avoid the topic of shame like a homophobic man avoids washing his ass. Like, I just don't want to go near it. You know what I mean? But of late, I realize that I have actually been doing a lot of unshaming in the last year, and I didn't really realize it, which is kind of crazy. So let me explain. I always thought the process of confronting shame was going to be super cringe and painful, um, that I would, like, need to pull up the memories of things that, like, created my shame and, like, relive them and, and like, feel nauseous and cry and shit. And I, like, really didn't want to go through that. But as it turns out, um, it has been way less agonizing than that and has happened over time in moments And it's been cumulative. And so I don't think it's actually really, like, been as bad as I thought it was going to be. Now, don't get me wrong. There have been aspects of the work, 
especially with my therapist, um, that have been super uncomfortable. But like most of that is because I struggle with the like, am I doing this right thing? So, you know, we'd kind of trace a reason I was being so unkind to myself back to my childhood and then do like reparenting, like inner child work. And he would ask like, what would that kid need? What would that kid have needed to hear, et cetera? And I really struggled with that a lot. Um, At one point, I even asked him, like, what are you looking for me to say? (laughs) Like, (laughs) as if there was a right way for me to do it. I was entirely uncomfortable with this exploration because, like, I'm always trying to be the best client. And it felt like this was a test or something. Like, he was looking for, like, like, specific things, like being a good parent, right? Like we think, you know, parents are always thinking like, I should be this kind of parent, I should be that kind of parent. And so like, it was like, I was like, is there a way you're supposed to talk to a child? I don't know. How does one talk to children? Um, (laughs) And I often find myself like trying to win at therapy, which is like, I I, like have to tell myself to knock it off because that's not the point. But um, so yeah, that, that was kind of interesting. But By now, I feel like most of us are familiar with uh, Brené Brown and her distinction that she makes between guilt and shame. Uh, If you don't, simply put, she says, guilt is thinking I did something wrong and shame is basically I am wrong. So something about me or me entirely is the thing that's wrong. So like we can't apologize for being wrong, right? Like we can apologize for doing something wrong and we can make amends for doing something wrong. But if you just think that you are the thing that's wrong, like that's a problem. The thing is that I'm, I'm really no stranger to the experience of shame, especially growing up queer. I definitely still have some like internalized racism and femme phobia and like the intersection of those things, like in the queer community, right. Can be like, uh, um, and we all have that right. For the most part. Uh, But I've worked through a lot of that stuff. And it doesn't really impact me, like, on a daily basis or the way that I feel about myself on the regular. I don't carry a lot of shame for who I am. Um, And for the most part, I don't try to, like, hide that unless I feel unsafe, which is a thing, especially in spaces that are dominated by straight men. Um, Isn't it wild how we're all afraid of straight men? Like, they need to do better. And the ones that, like are doing better, like, really need to hold their friend's balls to the fire to, like, knock off the, like, toxic shit. But it's not like the cis gays are that much better, although I don't usually feel unsafe with them. I just sort of feel, like, looked down upon. Um, So it's just, like, mildly re-traumatizing. Anyway, the focus of my recent unshaming has been around what I now realize is my neurodivergence. Initially, it started by extending a lot of compassion to myself around my trauma. I was very intolerant of my trauma. I had the thought that it shouldn't be there or that I shouldn't be affected by it. And like last summer, my mom was visiting and I was like very triggered for whatever reason. Actually, I I now get the reason a bit more. I have become more and more aware of the ways in which I have created my life to accommodate my special needs and how much control I now have over my environment. And when that gets disrupted, when new people are introduced, like it really dysregulates me. My routines are like super very important. And being able to predict or know what other people are doing and how that might impact my structures is essential. 
But at the time, I did not realize that was the issue. And I found myself being super hard on myself and also taking responsibility for others' experience of me in a way that just wasn't healthy. And I do think we all need to consider like our behavior. But when we're taking responsibility for others' feelings, we actually can't be really considering our behavior because we're probably not showing up as our best selves when our focus is on someone else. So there was a whole stack of beliefs that were getting in the way that were actually a result of my trauma. So the first being that I shouldn't be feeling the way that I was, right? So I was dysregulated, but it's like I was telling myself that I shouldn't be, that it shouldn't be a big deal to have a new person in the house, that it I should be able to just go with the flow. But um, I can't go with the flow. There is no going with the flow. <laughs> the next belief was that I needed to be better at managing my emotions because the other people around me could not manage theirs, right? So it's like, I have more tools, so I should be doing better. But that's just not the case. And I have these beliefs mainly because my needs were seen as an inconvenience when I was a child. So I learned to like not have any, except that is not true. I just learned to be ashamed of them and to cover them up which resulted in meltdowns and overreacting to things because I knew that if things were bad enough and I was like having a reaction that I'd finally get some actual care because my needs were being ignored until that point. So cut to the past few months post receiving an ADHD diagnosis and I am working very hard to relearn who I am without all the masking So this is the unshaming I am working on. And it's actually kind of fun. It includes a lot of memes shared with my husband and sister. They are seeing me and they're laughing with me. um, And it's fun to share in that together. Funny story, though. Like four years ago, I actually thought my husband was the one with ADHD. And so I started kind of reading about it. And I was like, wait a minute, do I have ADHD? (laughs) And it turns out, actually, that he does not have it, and I do. And actually, as I do more research, there are also a lot of traits I have that overlap with autism um, and that are specific to autism, but I'm not seeking an evaluation for that at this time. There's other things that could be contributing to those symptoms, um, CPTSD, anxiety, depression, the co-occurrence of different symptoms is like insane. Also, my hypermobility, that's another one of them that is really common among with autistics and people with ADHD. So there's a lot going on. Anyway, the thing that's helped me the most in this process was actually the space I was able to hold for myself around my trauma. It is very hard to heal trauma. And I had been of the belief that me still being triggered and being so reactive to my triggers was my fault. Like I wasn't doing a good enough job healing myself. So in making peace with the reality that I have trauma and that I cannot control what triggers me, it helped me create some space around it so that I could notice what was actually going on in my body, which means that I was better able to manage my reaction to the triggers when I started to notice myself being dysregulated. And it's funny because 
anytime we're in resistance to something, we actually make it worse. So when I thought it shouldn't be happening, I had less control over my behavior. I would dissociate and withdraw. I would become moody and snappy and basically like brood around the house. And this definitely impacted others more than when I was able to recognize what was happening and do some work to regulate myself. And I had this moment, I remember, after I started to like treat myself a little bit more compassionately around it, where I felt it starting to come on and I was able to just like stop and take a breath. Now, the dysregulation didn't stop. Like I could still feel my body kind of like in the in the swirl, right? And my getting a little lightheaded and my heart starting to beat, right? I could feel myself going into fight or flight, but like I was able to witness it and kind of breathe with it and be present. And it was this that really helped me be able to lean so fully into this new diagnosis and like really be vocal about it from the very beginning. I now see that a lot of my trauma came from being expected to perform in certain ways that were difficult for me, much like being queer, but that while I had been able to own my queerness and even be proud of it, I had not been able to really do that with my like neurospicy traits. And a lot of that was because I didn't really realize <laughs> before the diagnosis that these were things about me that like this is just how my brain works, right? I was still believing that it was like, okay, I experienced trauma and like I've had lots of therapy. I've had lots of coaching. I should be able to like be past this by now. Meanwhile, trauma changes your brain. (laughs) But I wasn't seeing it that way. I was seeing it as this whole different thing. And so it's actually funny because another aspect of my therapy work that helped me was way before I started seeking out this diagnosis for ADHD, I actually asked my therapist if he thought that I might have ADHD. And he was like, I don't really know. Like, I don't know that much about it. And diagnoses can be really subjective. And, you know, there are definitely things going on. And we've already discussed, right, how there's like so much overlap with with some of the things that I've already been diagnosed with, right? Like CPTSD and OCD, anxiety and depression. And like, I don't actually think I have OCD, which is a whole nother thing, but we're not going to talk about that now. (laughs) But right, like, having a diagnosis was not the most important thing. The most important thing was that like, I was following a lot of accounts on Instagram and doing a lot of reading. And it was actually like helping me destigmatize whatever I was feeling, right? I was I was kind of dropping the shame. And that's what he said. He was like, if it's helping you, then like, if it's if it's helping you accept yourself and accept what's going on with you, then it doesn't really matter if you have a diagnosis or not. Because what we're trying to do is to like deprogram and destigmatize like the internalized shame. And so really the only reason I ended up getting the diagnosis is because I wanted to I wanted to pursue medication. But I had already like started kind of doing that work to like accept some of these traits and give myself permission to rely on the resources that were being useful for me. So I wanted to share this journey today to illustrate like kind of how long it can take to make peace with, not that I think we ever truly like make peace with it, because as long as we live in this like white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, like there will always be like a conflict, right, of the dual messaging that we're getting. So we're going to be negotiating and dealing with that. But I feel so much more relaxed in who I am. And I'm no longer so steeped in the 
belief that I was born wrong. And I was also like surprised because for someone who believed they were avoiding working on shame, it kind of amazed me that I was like able to do that in in terms of improving my quality of life over the course of time. Like this has been like a year and a half journey. And that self-love and self-compassion just around who I am, who I'd always thought was just like difficult and hard to be with and hard to be around has been really amazing. And I think we all know shame cannot live in the light. It requires us to keep it hidden away to survive. And the revealing of it does not have to be painful. We might have some vulnerability hangovers because I've definitely had some, but it hasn't been nearly as like unbearable as I, as I thought it was going to be. And it certainly hasn't been as like painful as when I was trying to like eliminate parts of me that I thought shouldn't be there. Like that stress is so much greater than the experience of being a little bit embarrassed or a little bit vulnerable because I'm starting to like unmask and be a little bit more of my true self and be okay with, you know, things like stimming while I'm doing coaching calls. Actually, one of my clients um, brought me a little um, fidget toy yesterday and I just like, I like lit up about it. Like I was so excited to be able to like share that, right? Like that she was, she felt comfortable enough to be like, oh my God, Chris would love this. And I'm really working to be accepting of the things that just make me who I am and that have been with me forever and will probably continue to be with me forever. And the other thing that unshaming is helping me do is like figure out what kind and what level of support I need um, and how to ask for it. And I know I don't have to do that right away because I'm someone who's like not really good at asking for help, but just like the acknowledgement that certain things are hard for me can be enough. And it's enough to make me give myself a break instead of giving up on things that I like used to find really challenging. Um, And I'm also finding different ways to do things because I'm not so locked in to things needing to look a certain way, right? Because I'm not trying to pretend to be neurotypical anymore, right? So it's like the same thing with being queer. When I stopped pretending, life just got easier because I wasn't spending all this extra time and energy and like emotional and mental labor on trying to be someone that I'm not. And the same thing is happening now as I'm unmasking where I just am being able to be myself and get more done or not get more done if I if I really can't and and have that be okay. The releasing of shame is just to be so compassionate with myself so that I can just be me. It's funny, I actually have a quote on my wall from the Sleeping At Last Enneagram One song. I'm an Enneagram One. And my student, Jenna, who is like my mini me, she gave me um, this print with the quote on it that says, grace requires nothing of me. And I feel like I'm finally starting to believe that, that like I can be, just be and not do and not try to be better, not try to be perfect, not to fix and revise constantly. Grace, just grace needs nothing. It needs me to do nothing. So that has been my journey of like de-shaming and leaning into self-love and self-compassion 
And I just wanted to share it with you all because when we're in shame, it's so much harder for us to create the things we want to create. And I know so many of us, whether we're trying to do work that helps other people or just entertains other people, we want to be free to do that. And when we're carrying around all of the baggage of believing that we need to be different, it really does impact our ability to do that thing that we're so passionate about. I hope me sharing my story with you has impacted you and has helped shift you in some way. And I would love to hear how, if it has, please, please, please reach out to me. You can DM me on Instagram or email me at chris at theonlychrishale.com to tell me about, I don't know, your unshaming or your desire to unshame, or maybe give me some tips. If you have any for me, I would love that too. All right, friends, have a great rest of your week. Bye. If you are loving the podcast, it's time to put a ring on it. It would mean the world to me if you would do one or all of these things. First off, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or all the places podcasts are available if you want to be extra. While you're there, giving a five-star rating and leaving a review would be epic. And lastly, spreading the love by sharing your favorite episode would be beyond. Thanks, love. We'll talk soon.